blessings, all my 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 blessings. I need my blessings every penny, daily counting every single one I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn into a Bentley. See I'm stunned, so I'm all I'm thinking. Our theme for today is who is good in college football. Wisconsin fired Paul Christ after seven-plus seasons, and Colorado fired Carl Darnell and his defensive coordinator, Dorell 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 took over for Mel Tucker, who is in his own turmoil at MSU. He grabbed that job in 2020. This makes five Power Five jobs open less than halfway through the season, with Nebraska, Georgia Tech, and Arizona State already on that list. But let's talk about some of the other struggling teams that have really put up a fight, particularly in this last week, starting with Missouri, who is one of the worst teams in the SEC and nearly beat number one Georgia, who was really in a struggle in a dogfight, if you will, in this game before pulling it out 26 to 22. The Bulldogs trailed 16 to 6 at the half. They lost the turnover battle 2 0. They allowed 4.9 yards per carry to Missouri, had almost 200 yards more offense, and held the ball almost 10 minutes longer. But it wasn't until the 403 mark in the fourth quarter that Georgia finally took the lead. Giving up 22 points to Kent State last week really looked like it was kind of a fluke game. Maybe they were just messing around a little bit with an inferior team. But there seem to be some real problems here now for Georgia. Auburn is all but ready to fire Brian Harrison. They were, prior to the season, wanted to get rid of him. In fact, they were going to do it if Missouri beat them last week. However, the same Tigers team that had Georgia on the ropes this week nearly beat Auburn in two separate instances last week in regulation and overtime and fumbled the game away. Therefore, Harrison kept his job. And this week, they were going up against LSU, a game they eventually lost 21 to 17 but led 17 to 14 at the half and Hairston still is holding on to his job somehow with uh, a lack of talent and not knowing what the hell is going on at quarterback Georgia Tech easily the worst team in a struggling ACC just fired their coach they straight up beat number four Pittsburgh 26 to 21 Pitt was two for 12 on third downs. They had 12 penalties, a minus three turnover ratio. They looked horrific after really dragging ass the past few weeks. Northwestern hasn't won a game in the United States this season after beating Nebraska in the opener, but they hung around in a road game at number 11 Penn State before falling 17-7. They forced the Nittany Lions into five turnovers, held them to four of 15 on third downs and 3.8 yards per carry. Nick Singleton still had 86 yards and a touchdown, but the running back crew did not quite have quite the explosive performance that they expected. The quarterbacks were combined 25 for 57 for 350 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks, and a pitiful performance at that position. Boston College can't be the new candidate for worst team in the ACC because they also won. They beat Louisville 34 to 33, so maybe the Cardinals can take that spot. Or perhaps it's Virginia, who was drilled again, 38-17. to 17. This by this team, this, oh my God, I can't even speak. This time it was by Duke, lonely old Duke. 
who is now 4-1 and one for the first time in a very long time, back in the uh, Daniel Jones heyday. I don't even think they had that kind of start. That makes Louisville and Virginia two teams that were expected to possibly be dark horses thanks to their quarterbacks and Malik Cunningham and Brennan Armstrong. Eight, nine, ten win teams if they were to hit their ceiling this year. Looking like two of the worst, the worst teams in the ACC now. So let's hit the rest of the top 25 matches here for the week. Number two, Alabama beat number 20, Arkansas on the road, 49 to 26. Bryce Young left the second quarter with a shoulder injury. So Jalen Milrow came into the game. He completed four passes and a passing touchdown. He also had 91 yards on the ground and a touchdown as well, scampering with his little tiptoes. And uh, he looks like a, a real problem should he take over the starting position next year. It was a lot of handoffs with Jamar Gibbs going off for 206 yards and two touchdowns. So Alabama was really able to switch gears and just pummel the Razorbacks. KJ Jefferson also went down with a hit to the head. Not sure if he didn't come back into the game due to the injury or the blowout score, but Alabama, who's really struggled on the road, pulled out a big win after 100 penalty yards, which is wild. And uh, Saban's really got to clean some of that up. Arkansas had a few short fields as well and recovered an onside kick. So Alabama's still got a few question marks here. Had Bryce Young's injury to the mix. Jameer Gibbs, who's the transfer and running back from Georgia Tech, who's really been the focal point of that offense. And uh, Alabama here's really got some question marks moving forward. Number three, Ohio State to 149-10 over Rutgers. C.J. Stroud was 13 for 22 for 154 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Not a good stat line there for the Heisman front runner at this point. Ryan Williams had 189 yards and five rushing touchdowns, including a 70-yarder. This game was obviously a blowout, but another game that Ohio State won, wins like 63 to nothing when the offense is really fully clicking uh, and loaded on all cylinders. Now, Rutgers only converted one-third down in the opening drive to go down to score the opening touchdown, and the Buckeyes clamped down after that. But, uh, man, I just wonder what they're going to look like against better competition. They have Michigan State and Iowa next, so neither team really looks good enough to challenge that defense at this point. And a road trip at Penn State before Halloween really looks like an enticing game coming up uh, in a few weeks down the road. Although they have quarterback issues, that ground game looks like it could be a real disruptor there for that defense. Of course, that's how Michigan managed to cause problems for the Buckeyes last season. Now, speaking of number four, Michigan, they beat Iowa 27 to 14. They gave up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but uh, I just thought they would have been able to do a little bit more here. This team is still a cut above the rest in the Big Ten and a step below Ohio State, but it still really has its struggles. They have Penn State as well in another week, so we'll see how uh, they measure up against the Nittany Lions. Right now it's Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan kind of there in the Big Ten. The West is still a still a disaster. Illinois might be the best team out of that division, and I think, personally. Number five, Clemson knocked off number 10, NC State, 30-20 to 20 behind three touchdowns for DJ two of them on the ground. This team looks like they're probably going to the playoffs at this point. They have road games at Florida State and Notre Dame remaining and a home date against Syracuse. 
That's the more difficult games left on the slate. They don't really want to get into pick them of one-loss teams at the end of the year if they do pick up a loss here. Uh, strength of schedule probably won't pan out in their favor, but I'm not sure that they're actually going to have a slip-up. They're clearly the best team in the ACC, and they're looking better, certainly on offense. And the defense still had four. I don't know if they're all starters, but if you count the top 16 guys, uh, 15, 16 players, I'd say four of the top 16 players on defense were still out. So a quarter of your top defensive players are still gone due to injury, and they'll be looking forward to get getting those guys back over the next couple weeks here. NC State never felt like they were going to pull ahead in this game, even when it was 3-3 in the first quarter and 13-10 at the half, Clemson lead. The Wolfpack averaged 5.1 yards per completion and 1.6 per carry. Now, they could still hit 10 wins, certainly, this season, which would be the first time in a while that they've hit that mark. But Florida State, Wake Forest, road games to Syracuse, North Carolina are still on the board here um, for the offense that's currently ranked 82nd in the country and is having a lot of issues moving the football. So Wolfpack, uh, we'll see what they can do moving forward. Number six, USC was in a battle with Arizona State, team that's been floundering uh, up until the fourth quarter. Yeah, where they were finally able to pull away 42-25. to 25. They weren't able to force the turnovers that they've been depending on to win, so ASU was able to stay in it, and Caleb Williams threw his first interception of the season. We really saw how much of a liability that defense can be. Now, the offense was still 7-13 of 13 on third downs and efficient overall, but just remember, when they come up against another really strong opponent, that this is probably what we're going to see strong offense and that defense can uh, can it come around and and back this this team up number eight Tennessee was on a bye number nine Oklahoma State won its first big game of the season on the road 38 to 25 against number 16 Baylor now the Baylor Bears are a solid football team but it sure seems like the offense isn't going to win any big games 35 to 30 uh, by relying on that offense, especially in the Big 12. Several good offenses uh, firing on all cylinders there. Spencer Sanders still kind of looks like Spencer Sanders of old when throwing the football there and going up against quality opponents. He was 20 for 29, but only for 180 yards, one touchdown and one interception. Now he did run for 75 yards in a touchdown to kind of keep that threat that additional threat there on the field for this offense. We'll see if, if he's a liability throwing the football in big matchups going down the line. Because right now, Oklahoma State and TCU, maybe Kansas, look like the three best teams in the Big 12. Speaking of 12s, let's talk about number 12 in the Pac-12, and that's Utah, who pounded Oregon State 42-16. to Now, Chance Nolan had two picks after the four against USC last week. Now, he left with a neck injury and backup Ben Gullisburston. I can't even pronounce that. We'll say Gullisburston uh, had two more interceptions. So, the Beavers actually outgained Utah. 417 to 361, but the Beavers had four turnovers total in this game, and they have a negative eight turnover margin the past two games combined against Utah and USC. That's really taken them out of the Pac-12 race at this point. 
but uh, Utah, again, down their top tight end, relying very much on tight ends to run that offense. And much like what Georgia's suffering right now, you kind of wonder, as efficient as they are, one of the top 15 offenses and defenses right now in the country. Outside of that Florida game, they've looked very proficient in beating teams right now, but they haven't had another high-quality game on the schedule at this point. So you kind of have to wonder if they're going to be able to get big explosive plays against other quality opponents when they have to moving forward, relying on backup tight end play to kind of run this offense. Number 13, Oregon beat Stanford 45-27, to but Bo Nix was very unimpressive again, and Stanford was able to uh, put some points up on the back end of that Oregon Duck squad. Number 15, Washington was rolled Friday night 40-32 to by UCLA. The Bruins' first big game, and they punched first and had the Huskies trying to play keep up the entire game. Michael Penix kind of looked like Michael Penix of old. Uh, here and there in different splashes. He had 345 yards and four touchdowns, but he put the ball in the air 48 times and had two horrible picks, had some really poor decision-making throws. Only 65 yards on the ground for the Huskies. Dorian Thompson had 360-plus total yards and four total touchdowns, while Zach Cambernate had 124 yards and a touchdown on the ground for the Bruins. UCLA was 10 of 14 on third down and averaged 9.5 yards per pass and 4.7 per rush as they gutted Washington. Absolutely tore them apart. The Bruins weren't very impressive on the defensive side of the ball, allowing Washington to go 8 for 15 on third down and 4 for 4 on fourth and kind of catch up towards the end there a little bit. Really, it was. It just felt like Michael Penix did some really boneheaded things and, um, Perhaps they would have stayed in the game and been able to throw the ball around a little bit more if he had not made some poor poor decisions there because there was not a whole lot of defense in that game at all. Number 17, Texas A&M. Lost on the road to Mississippi State, which wasn't a surprise to anyone who's been watching these teams or following the storylines here. But the Bulldogs had 13 penalties and still conquered the game. They averaged six yards per carry, forced four turnovers, including two in the red zone, they returned an interception for a touchdown. They had a blocked kick for a touchdown, and they went 42-24. to 24. Texas A&M, jeez, oh, they were a botched Arkansas field goal away from having another loss, so they're real close to just having a losing record, and it's really looking like it's only going to get worse. And MSU, on the other hand, if they had not fallen apart to LSU a couple weeks back in the fourth quarter, a game they were leading heading into the last inning and then losing by two touchdowns, then they would be undefeated at this point. But they're clearly the better football team at this point in time. Number 19, BYU, is just a one-dimensional team right now. It feels like they're going to get got again soon here. They beat Wyoming 38-20. to and Utah State 38-26 to the past couple weeks. They've given up at least 20 points in every single game. Almost every team left on their schedule is underachieving to some extent this season, but Notre Dame and Arkansas are coming up next, and um, Notre Dame's had two weeks to prepare for this upcoming weekend's game. BYU, man, it's offense, a good offense, but with all the returning production they've had on both sides of the ball, most in the country, this defense is just bad. It is not a not a good group back there. Number 21, Minnesota, played without Mo Abraham. 
who was second in the country in rushing and second in rushing touchdowns, I believe, and he's still top five in both categories, sitting out this past weekend. Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback for Purdue, did play in a 20-10 win over the Gophers. O'Connell was questionable coming in. Now, the quarterbacks combined for five picks and zero touchdowns. No, Tanner Morgan doesn't perform as well when uh, Mo Abraham is sitting out, and they only had 47 yards on the ground, period. So they really struggled with him out, and O'Connell clearly didn't quite look right. Purdue's been a little bit better on the ground this year, but even last season when they depended on him, he was clearly the focal point of the the offense. So he just didn't quite look great either, and I'm not sure if it was indicative of his health or the Minnesota defense or a mix of both. But really, this was just a gross offensive game, but it sure throws a wrinkle in the standings of the West between Purdue and Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin and Illinois at this point as to who's better than who at this point. Number 22, Wake Forest, one at number 23, Florida State, 31 to 21. Florida State had four sacked. They were able to get after um, Sam Hartman a little bit there. Jordan Travis was 23 for 35 and had three touchdowns, but eight points in the fourth quarter was the only thing that really stopped this score from looking more lopsided. Now, Florida State did average more yards per pass and run play, but just struggled to score the football there. They were 4 for 11 on third down. Wake Forest was actually 10 for 18 on third down. And this super competitive Atlantic division is starting to really cannibalize itself, which is what we expected. But Clemson is there at the top. And FSU, Syracuse, NC State, they're all going to be picking each other off here now. So still a good division, I think, and some surprising teams here, especially Syracuse and this Florida State squad. These are the quality teams of the conference, and they're all going to be picking each other off, but we'll get some good games out of it at least. Number 25, Kansas State beat Texas Tech 37-28 after another subpar Adrian Martinez throwing day going 12 for 19 for 116 and a touchdown, but he ran for 171 yards and three touchdowns. What in the hell? And Deuce Vaughn also put up 170 as well on the ground. So Adrian Martinez is just running back 1B here for uh, Kansas State, who's just exploding. I think the second favorite odds to win the Big 12 right now behind Oklahoma State. So it's just wild uh, what is going on there with his legs and not his arm. Donovan Smith for the Red Raiders was 34 for 49 for 359 yards, two and two in another mediocre game that had four total turnovers for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. But again, Big 12, as we're kind of separating the tiers here, it looks like Oklahoma State and TCU kind of at the top there. I think we'll have um, some sinking teams here, I would think in Texas Tech and West Virginia, at least in losses only. But these teams are still going to be in battles every single week. We'll see how Kansas State starts to settle, or excuse me, Kansas starts to settle in there. Kansas State, are they going to be towards the top? Where is Baylor going to end up with a couple losses now? I realize only one is in conference, one's out of conference to BYU. And where's Texas going to be? Is Oklahoma going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the Big 12 It's going to be uh, very interesting, but every week, every single week, 
the uh, Big 12 slate is going to be very, very intriguing. Altogether, 10 ranked teams lost the most this season. 16 teams are still undefeated. Bama, Georgia, Tennessee, Ole Miss, four from the SEC. Three from the Big 12, Oklahoma State, TCU, Kansas. Three from the Big 10, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Two from the ACC, Clemson and Syracuse. Two from the Pac-12, USC, UCLA. Two non-Power 5 teams in James Madison and Coastal Carolina. The new top 25 shapes up like this. The top segment has again not changed very much. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, USC, Oklahoma State, Tennessee. Those are your top eight. Georgia and Alabama did flip-flop after Georgia's subpar showing against Missouri. Oklahoma State moved up a couple spots. Old Miss moved up five spots to number nine. Penn State is number 10. Utah's 11. Oregon's 12. A little bit of movement there. Kentucky's now 13th after dropping six spots. And NC State is now 14th after dropping four spots. Wake Forest moved up seven to the number 15 spot. BYU is 16. Now it gets very interesting because we've added seven teams that were not ranked last week to the poll. We have TCU in for the first time this year, UCLA in for the first time this year, Kansas in for the first time since 2009. Kansas State is up to number 20. Washington dropped to 21. Then we have Syracuse, Mississippi State, Cincinnati in for the first official time because they were in for the preseason poll week one when they'd proved nothing but now they are in for the second time but for the first time since really winning games at number 24 and lsu is number 25 the other teams receiving votes washington state is number 26 followed by baylor florida state arkansas all teams that took losses this past week and fell out of the poll next up is james madison who is officially, they make the number 30 overall, and an undefeated team there, one of the two teams that aren't in the poll. Then we have Florida, Maryland, Coastal Carolina, who's technically number 33 by this count then, the lowest-ranked undefeated team. Then Minnesota, Tulane, and Illinois, who, again, might be the best team in the Big Ten West. So that's technically number 36, followed by North Carolina, then Texas A&M, barely hanging on to the top 40, and then Purdue and Oklahoma each got a couple of votes as well. Seems too low for Purdue. Might actually be too high for Oklahoma. Guess who didn't receive any AP votes despite having the same record and destroying their opponent in West Virginia last week? Well, that would be the Texas Longhorns. Now, they did receive 22 votes on the coaches' poll that officially placed them 35th in the coaches' poll, but they received zero AP votes. So how excited are you for the Red River, Red River rivalry this week between two teams outside of the top 35 and barely in the top 40? That is wild. Texas, I believe, is favored for the first time in over a decade. And who do you think is the best team? I realize we're still heading towards a playoff that's probably going to have some combination of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson. But 
our team safe every week? Are we sure Alabama's going to roll through every opponent, Georgia, Ohio State? Sure seems like we have much more parity this year. We have more vulnerable teams. We certainly have more one-sided teams. About half the teams in the top 25 are much better on one side of the ball than the other, and you're not supposed to be able to win championships unless you're reasonably great on both both sides of the football. There's a handful of teams in the top 25 that should probably be dropped out in exchange for some of the other teams receiving votes, and I'm just glad to be able to watch the games and not be sure if a team is going to pull it out. I think it's very exciting for college football. Getting into your watch guide for the first week of October here, and we have a Wednesday game for the 5th, and that is SMU at 2-2 and traveling to Central Florida, who's currently 1-1 and at 7 o'clock on ESPN2. This is a twice-rescheduled game from October 1st originally due to the hurricane coming through. And although the reschedule region reason is horrible, um, it'll shine a spotlight on the region and allow, as a standalone game, us as football viewers to get an opportunity to watch these two teams and to have football every day of the week except for Tuesday due to Monday night football and Thursday night football. So that'll give us plenty to digest. It's currently slated to be played in Orlando, home of the Central Florida Knights, and they are favored by a field goal, although it's we're not really sure what the hell is going to happen in this game. They haven't given up more than 20 points all season, and that was back in the Louisville loss where they gave up 20. They'll keep the ball on the ground with John Rye Plumley at quarterback, who's tied for the most carries on the team and rushed for 80-plus yards in every single game. He's gone for over 103 of the four games. SMU lost by a touchdown to both Maryland and TCU, which look like good teams at this point as we continue to roll on. So this is going to be a solid game between two good teams out of the American Conference. Now, this is still an offense for SMU that is averaging over 38 points per game and converting 51% of its third downs with a respectable defense, even with Sonny Dykes moving on to the TCU job. This will be a weird, emotional game between two teams hoping to make some moves in the feisty American Conference there with Memphis and Cincinnati and Tulane all sitting at 4-1 and and Memphis at 2-0 conference play so far. And this is the first conference game for these two teams. Houston started the season near the top 25 and is 2-3 and three right now, surprisingly, but you can't count them out. Good conference game, good conference race, an emotional time here, and just a weird Wednesday game. We know these weekday games can be a little different between SMU and UCF on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, October 5th. No Thursday games this week, but on Friday we have a four-game slate. I wouldn't say it's a healthy four-game slate, but we have a four-game slate. Nebraska and Indiana are the two teams on the slate from the Power Five. Nebraska is now sitting at two and three. Nebraska three and two, and they'll be hosting. That's on FS1 at seven o'clock. The Huskers did beat Indiana 35-21 to last week, so they should be excited to have grabbed a second win here. Rutgers only scored 10 points in back-to-back weeks against Iowa and Ohio State. 
the offense actually scored more points for Iowa than it did for themselves with two pick sixes in last week's loss. That was not good. I don't think the secondary of the defense is bad. It certainly challenged Ohio State. But Casey Thompson for Nebraska ran all over Indiana last week and might do the same here against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Nebraska's favored by a field goal on the road, and it's possible we'll see a 500 team coming out of this. At 7.30, we have Memphis at 4-1, hosting Houston at 2-3 on ESPN2. And what would have looked like an excellent Excellent game just a couple weeks out, but Houston's really been struggling. Memphis has won four straight after rolling Temple 24-3 last week. They held the Owls to seven first downs, only two for 16 on third down conversions, three turnovers forced. And Houston lost in overtime to Tulane. And their third string quarterback, Kai Horton, 27-24. Houston had 100 more yards, more first downs, a better third down conversion rate but just couldn't win the game, and that's pretty much been their story for this season. Now, Memphis is a field goal favorite at home. should be the best game on the slate, and Houston just cannot stay out of its way. could be 2-4 and four coming out of this one. Memphis is a TBD right now based on the quality of competition. It's not looked great, but um, could be 5-1 and 3-0 and and conference play possibly coming out of this, and uh, the current... Favorite, co-favorite, along with Cincinnati to win the American coming out of this game. 10.30, we have a couple couple games here. One clearly better than the other, but they're both Mountain West Conference, uh, conference games. Nevada is 2-3. and three. They're hosting Colorado State, who's 0-4. This is on FS1. I really can't believe that Nevada could be 3-3 three and three coming out of this, but both these teams have had coaching turnover, player issues, and uh, this is just going to be... Uh, not a top watch here. Let's just let's just put it that way. But uh, FS1 Nevada at two and three hosting Colorado State at zero and four. The more interesting game is going to be on the CBS Sports Network. That is San Jose State at three and one hosting UNLV at four and one. At two of the better looking teams in a very confusing Mountain West Conference. Utah State won the Mountain West last year, but they're currently sitting at 1-3. and three. They won over San Diego State, who is currently sitting at 2-3 and three this year. Boise State and Fresno State were projected to leapfrog both of those teams and compete this season. But Boise State is sitting at 3-2 and two and firing coordinators. Fresno is banged up and injury has injury problems all over the place. They're sitting at one and three. So all four of those teams that have been successful recently or expected to be this season are having devastating years. Air Force is currently four and one and in the mix. But other than that, San Jose State here and UNLV are looking like two not spectacular but solid squads moving forward with San Jose State winning the Mount West in the 2020 shortened COVID year. So it's going to be interesting if, to see if these two teams can hang on and uh, have some continued success. So that is going to be an interesting competition here for two teams that don't necessarily light it up in any great statistical category. UNLV has beaten Idaho State 52-21, North Texas 58-27, at Utah State 34-24, and New Mexico 31-20. They had to score 24 unanswered points to win last week against the Lobos. They lost at California 
20 to 14. California is certainly going to finish near the bottom of the pack, 12, but is not quite as uh, terrible as they've been in recent seasons. So UNLV hanging around for a middling middling team, all, all things considered. San Jose State beat Portland State 21-17 in an unimpressive win to open the season. They beat Western Michigan 34-6 at Wyoming 33-16. Lost at Auburn 24-16. And Auburn's mix of not being able to play offense, but still playing a lot of close games, regardless of competition levels, very confusing as well. So not sure what to do with either of these teams, but it should be at least an evenly matched game, even if they aren't two, I guess, high-level quality squads in the grand scheme of college football. But that is your Friday slate, 7 o'clock, Nebraska at Rutgers on FS1, 7.30, Houston at Memphis on ESPN2, 10.30, Colorado at Nevada on FS1, and 10.30, UNLV at San Jose State on CBS Sports Network. And I'm going to hack this into two parts here with the Wednesday night game just to kind of get this segment out. And I will drop the second part shortly. Thank you. All my blessings, 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 all my blessings. I need my blessings every penny, daily counting every single one I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat and turn it to a...